Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Scott Crone. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Thanks, Whitney, for having us. I appreciate the opportunity to talk. My pleasure. My pleasure. Scott is a Chicago native whose career in architecture began in 1991. In 2012, Chrome founded SSSK Capital Fund, a firm which manages a wide range of real estate, including single and multifamily homes, retail, commercial warehouse, and self-storage and multi-use flex athletic spaces. Currently, the platform of investments is in excess of $30 million. In 2018, SSSK Capital Fund was rebranded to Coda Management Group to complement his design build firm, Coda Design Plus Build, an international award-winning design and build firm which specializes in sustainable building practices. Scott, thank you again for your time and being willing to share your expertise and with us today. So give the listeners and myself a little more about yourself and your focus right now in this business and let's dive in. Well, again, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. So currently, I mean, we have two firms, as you mentioned, Coda Design Build and Coda Management Group. And Coda Design Build is predominantly our, our retail company where clients hire us to do design, build, and development for them. So we just finished uh, working on our fifth church where we helped the church acquire the property, go through the zoning. We got them the financing, and then we designed it and built it for them. And then on the on our investment side is Coda, Design, uh, Coda Management Group, where we are taking underperforming commercial buildings and converting them into self-storage facilities, predominantly in rural areas throughout the Midwest. I think it's a very unique skill. I guess it's becoming a somewhat more popular now, but it's not something I think we've talked about on the show. And with the large buildings and places where it's like uh, sometimes they can't find tenants now or or maybe older buildings, it seems like maybe that's a great option, but I'm looking forward to getting your expertise. So could we just dive into some of the things you all are doing as far as converting underperforming buildings to self-storage and, and maybe walk us through an example or process of what that looks like? So what it looks like is each market is based upon a three to five mile radius. And so we're, we're very specific about where we are looking. Right now, we're looking in the Midwest because we like the combination of there are areas that are in need of it. So predominantly, if you look at the East Coast, the South and the West Coast, those areas of the country have a high volume or a high market of self-storage already. So we're looking in underserved markets. And there are in the rural, in the urban areas, there are buildings that are large between a 70 and 100,000 square feet that are not being fully utilized. And so we can come in and reposition them. It's a, it's a green concept rather than tearing down a building. We can reposition it and improve it, raise the level of green efficiency and convert it into self-storage. And we like that because in the Midwest, there's a lot of opportunities with opportunity zones where they're looking to encourage development as well as pace financing, which is, is another tool that we can use to enhance our capital stack. You know, you mentioned like the size of the building. If we're thinking about trying to look into something like this, what size of building is going to be, you say too small, you know, so, or, or you know, it needs to be this big or bigger. What are you looking for? 
you know, like 40,000 square feet would be too small. So what we're looking for is between 70 and 100,000 square feet. That's the most optimal for us. It can be multiple stories. You know, it's preferable to be on a single story. But if it is multiple stories, that, that works as well, as long as we have elevators to service the upper floors. And then, you know, converting it to self-storage, or you mentioned, let's go back to the, you mentioned green concept. Could you elaborate on why that's important? Well, the first component of green is that you can reutilize rather than tearing down, adding waste to the landfills, all those sorts of things. So if we're tearing down a a 100,000 square foot building, there's going to be a tremendous amount of waste, even despite the, the attempts to recycle. And so if we can keep those buildings out of the landfills, and we can shorten the amount of construction time. We can limit the amount of times that we have to expend fuel to bring new supplies in. These are all components that make help be more green. And that's actually, when you look at LEED certification or Green Star or any of those other LEED programs, that's one of the first things that they try to do is utilize existing buildings. And so that has been, that's the major factor of what we're trying to do. The fact that we can also get these below replacement cost is also a green factor because we're not expending money and energy to rebuild a building, which is a lot more expensive than what is already there, which we can buy. What about the the time frame from being able to, I mean, you get a property like this under contract or going through the, the due diligence phase. I was just thinking about like the due diligence process on an older building like this and being able to convert it. There's so many unknowns anyway in any, you know, large commercial property purchase. However, I was just thinking about, you know, converting something like this. What are some things or first, how long is the process like that going to take just the due diligence and, and to close? The recent building we just closed, I mean, we closed it very quickly. We closed it in 60 days. That was abnormal. The seller was very aggressive in terms of the time frame. And so once they learned what we were going to do, then they were going to try to do it themselves. And so they didn't give us a lot of ability to negotiate or to really do a lot of the due diligence. So we, we closed and then we created the permit drawings and then submitted. So we sat on it longer on the front end than what we'd like to, just because of the fact that we had it closed quickly. But typically, you know, due diligence is about 90 days. And then once you get past that, another 30 or 60 days to close, you know, depending on the financing. And then we have to submit for the building permit. So that process, you know, can take couple months or it can take quite a while depending on the municipality and then about nine months to build it out. So how long till a property like this is going to cash flow? It will cash flow in terms of operations after 11 to 12 months. From wow. debt service perspective, it will be another another year after that. Okay. And tell me about the type of financing that you all would have to have, to have on something like this. Well, the last couple of projects that we've done with PACE, or we're trying to do currently with one project right now with PACE, it's qualified for PACE. So we're in the process of getting that done through the local municipality. And then we just have traditional debt financing with the local lender. Okay. And what is PACE? PACE is through the Department of Energy. It is a federal program that is implemented by the states where they're looking to reduce the carbon footprint and increase the energy efficiency of buildings. And so if you have your building evaluated and you can show that you can increase the level of efficiency in a building, the improvements are financed through the property taxes. So a special assessment is applied to the property taxes. And so there's, you can either go through the local port authority or um, private PACE funders where they create a debt structure that is amortized over the lifespan of the improvement and the 
the amortization schedule is applied to the property taxes. So you pay twice a year and lenders view it as not as a debt structure, they view it as equity because the cost is above the line item and it's part of the NOI. And so it's part of the property taxes. And so there's only one lien on the property, which is the first, and the, the, the PACE instrument is not leaned on the property other than the taxes. So why go into the underperforming buildings and self-storage? Why not, you know, multifamily or original self-storage? Or what is it about that niche? Well, I was a multifamily. I, I began a multifamily. My master's thesis was a 400 residential unit development on 50 acres. That was close to $100 million, if not exceeding $100 million in, in revenue. And so... You know, the first part of my career for the first, you know, 68 years was all in multifamily. And then after the crash, I also began buying distressed apartments. What we saw was that the cap rates were so compressed that it was very competitive and hard to get into that field. On the flip side, during the crash, self-storage was booming because it actually does better in a recessionary market because as people reduce the size of their housing units, they put things into storage rather than getting rid of them. And then also they're, they're looking to, to preserve. So self-storage historically has done better in a recessionary market than an expansion market. And so when I was first looking at self-storage, I, I was trying to find a distressed self-storage and I couldn't find one. And that's how I got into it. Now, the other side of it is comparatively, money, more money is made in the development process than in the repositioning process. So if self-storage is performing and you can only move it from, let's say, a nine cap to an eight cap, you're really not going to make that much margin there comparatively to the, the original class, what's called the first generation or class C operations. What we're dealing with is third generation or class A, which is all environmentally controlled urban settings where you're driving into the building, the garage door comes down and you're unloading your car in the building and then you use a cart to distribute your goods into your locker. So it's an entirely different model than the original self-storage operations. Wow. So you drive your vehicle in the building and unload. That's interesting. Tell me about the risks that maybe an investor would be worried about in a type of asset like this. Well, every real estate has risks, right? Sure. Everyone. The thing that we like about self-storage is I don't have to worry about color selections. You know, Henry Ford was great with his quote that, you know, my buyers can have any color they want as long as it's black. You know, for us, our clients can have any color self-storage unit that they want as long as it's white. The thing that they get to choose is what size, right? So we eliminated the risk in terms of the the finickiness of a buyer in terms of like liking brass or chrome or gold or any of those sorts of things. I mean, when we look at self-storage, it's apartments without toilets. And so, you know, we've whittled this thing down to the most economic basic unit that we could possibly do. So the biggest hurdle within self-storage is not the market. It is how much competition you have. And so what we look for is when we go into areas, we're, we're studying the three and five mile radius as to how much competition is in the marketplace. And we can monetize that. We can, we can analyze that in terms of what is the amount of self-storage in relationship to how many people. And if we begin hitting our approach in a mark, then that means that our, our rates are going to come down, our lead times are going to expand and all those sorts of things. So we like to go into markets that have a heavy demand and not a whole lot of supply. So that's how we, we buffer against you know, competition. 
What are some some big mistakes you would say, you know, somebody starting to try to do do what you're doing would make as far as, I mean, I can just imagine looking at this old building, trying to assess, can we make a self-storage building out of this? I mean, we were asked to look at one building that a person was evaluating in Cincinnati, and they thought an old parking garage was going to make for a good building. Well, in a parking garage, a lot of the floors are ramped so that, you know, you can get from one level to the next. Um, the size of the elevator was small. The zoning wasn't there. And so when you looked at each of these factors and the column layout, it made it very difficult. It made it hard to put self-storage in there and overly costly. So we actually, you know, discourage the person from going into that marketplace. The other one is if you don't pay attention to the level of competition. You know, we see people wanting to do this. And the metric is how many square feet of lockers per capita. And this one woman who we were talking with, she's like, I own six acres. I'm going to make my, my the property in self-storage. It's going to boom. And I asked her how much other competition was around her. She goes, oh, there's not that much. You know, there's no other self-storage facilities around me. And I just did a quick Google search and there's like 18 other facilities. And where market tends to hit, you know, supply or supply equals demand is around seven. And her facility was, her location was already above nine without her adding a single square footage. And I was like, whatever you do, do not put self-storage and it would be the absolute worst thing you could possibly do. Wow. So ultimately, not knowing your market, not knowing your competition. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So what about uh, return structure for, uh, you know, or how, how you're structuring these deals with investors? That's the other area of creativity that we like to bring to the table is that we're looking at different ways in which we can increase the yield for our investors, which is either through historic tax credits, which we've done on one property. We've also utilized the opportunity zones as well as PACE financing. So these three different components are ways in which we've been able to increase the yield for our investors while not increasing the level of risk. And so you know, we see that as much as the creative structure as how we find the property or de- design or lay it out. And you are in Chicago, but tell me, like, are there certain parts of the country you're focused in other than, I know you said Midwest, but are there certain states or, or cities and, and maybe why you like those areas? Well, right now we're in with uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Ohio, and we're looking in uh, Kentucky, Michigan, and, and surprisingly, you know, we found this little sliver perhaps in North Carolina that we're evaluating. But uh, those are the markets that we're considering. We've looked at Indiana, we've looked at uh, St. Louis, the Missouri areas, we've looked at Iowa. It's just a matter of if we can find the, the right conditions to make it worthwhile. And then locating a property like that, are you going to find a, a broker usually that has a property like that listed? Or, or is this going to be something that's like, this building's been vacant for 20 years and we just got to locate the owner? Uh, both. Some have been on the market that we've identified and others have been off market where we've had local people reach out to the existing owner and say, would you consider selling? And so we've done both and both processes have been successful for us. And so when we are working with brokers, it's pretty easy to eliminate things right off the bat, just in terms of size, in terms of you know the layout, the proximity, those sorts of things. So we can go through those lists pretty quickly. We have worked with a great broker in Ohio that has found off-market properties for us that has done very well for us. And so he's now actually looking in the Michigan area and, uh, you know, he just knocks on doors and talks with people to see what's out there. So 
Scott, you've done so much in the real estate. I mean, you talked about either multifamily and, and now you're in on numerous different things we discussed, but uh, as far as different asset classes and now, you know, this seems it's very niche and it's, it's really neat. I'm, I'm very intrigued by your all's business model, but what's been the hardest part of this, this real estate business for you? Well, I think when you're beginning, the hardest part is getting people to believe in you and what you're doing. You know, fortunately, my background taught me a lot in a short amount of time. You know, I, I began the process when I was 21, getting my master's. And so by 24, I was running a, a 40 unit, $25 million project with two other people for the company I used to work for, in addition to the larger project as well. And so, you know, I had a lot of experience in a very short amount of time, but even when I began my own firm, I had to overcome the obstacles or questions of, do you know what you're doing? Are you sure you're gonna be able to get this thing done? And granted, I was 28 and I probably looked like I was 18. And, you know, I still get carded despite the fact that I have far less hair than I do now. So, I mean, I had far less hair now than I did then. And so the biggest thing is just getting people to understand and believe in what you're doing. And you have to build that track record. You have to build that record of what you've been doing. And that has always been the hardest thing in terms of if we first went into single family and then we got into mixed use and then we got into commercial it's always the next stage. And fortunately, I've been able to look back and, and rely upon the things that I have done in the past and, and continue to build off of that. And I think that's one takeaway for people when they're trying to get into this is that it's, it's hard to start big. It's, you know, it's easier to start with something that is manageable and then grow from there. Don't, you know, don't be impatient with the process. Mm. Yeah, it's hard not to be impatient. Hard to be patient, and you know that you see this success or so-called success, you you think everyone else is achieving, but if you never get started, you're not going to get there. Absolutely. So, you know, how are you prepared for this uh, potential downturn that everyone's talking about? Well, I think there's different downturns. I think there's locally and then there's nationally. And so, as I said, self storage tends to do very well in a recessionary market. So one of the things that we've done is we've stopped buying in Illinois because we feel that that market is a little bit more in fluctuation. And so we're, that's why we're looking throughout the Midwest. We're also looking at not over leveraging our properties, making sure that there's a healthy level of debt. When before the crash, I mean, lenders were giving us like 90% of costs of what we were doing and the extreme leverage on them. We didn't turn one building over to the bank um, during that period of time. And it was because we, we saw the market coming and we, we began to get out of it and we weren't buying. And so you know, those are the things that we look for. We look at the signs. We look at what, what's happening in, in, the, in the larger scheme, plus us the local markets, and then not overextending ourselves. And so that's, that's the biggest thing we do there. Uh, what's a way that you've recently uh, improved your business that we could also apply to ours? Well, we really begun implementing a tool called the Enneagram within the company, not only within the company, but also with the clients that we've interacted that we work with in terms of understanding how people, what their motivation is and how they react and feel and communicate. And so if we can be more effective in understanding where they're coming from, then we can alter the way in which we say something so that we can get a more uh, healthy response or a more timely response and create a, a better relationship. And so those are the things that we've been doing in the office plus, plus as well as working with our, our clients. 
What was the name of that tool or what was that? The tool is called the Enneagram. It was developed by these fourth century monks. And there's a couple of books called, written by them. One's called The Road Back to You. And then the other one's uh, Sacred Enneagram. And they're both really good books in terms of under, presenting the concepts and, and uh, understanding the tools. A book called The Road Back to You. Right. It's by Ian Morgan Crone. It's a different spelling, so I'm not getting any royalties off of it. It's not, <laughs> not a relative or anything like that. Awesome. Okay. Now I like looking stuff like that up. So tell me your, let's see, the, the number one thing that's contributed to your success. Um, I've had people believe in me from the time that I got into architecture, you know, that, you know, I had people support me on that road and that path. And then that opened up doors that got me into the, the company that I was working with. And, you know, they believed in me and, and put me in a position to succeed and grow. And so even when I started my own company, you know, 28, which is incredibly young to start a company. My first investors really did believe in, you know, after we gave them a 90% rate of return on their investment after the first deal, they said, do it again and don't tell anyone. Perhaps be limited by what they're, what they want me to do. And so, um, but throughout that entire process, it's just having a group of core people that do believe in me and including my wife and my family and just support them and uh, backing what we're doing. What's a way that you stand out in your relationship with your investors? Well, we do all three things. We're developers, we do the design, and then we do the build. And so we understand the entire process. And you have typically you have a lot of developers who then go and hire an architect, who then go and hire a GC. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, it's a three triads. But when someone comes to us with a zoning problem, we can answer it. When someone comes to us with a design problem, we can answer it. When someone comes to us with a construction issue, we can deal with it. And so a lot of times when, like when we go into a market, you know, when we have a property under contract and we're, we're finding local people to local contractors to bid out the work, they want to know what the likelihood is that we're going to get the job as the GC. And we explain, well, we're also the owner. So you're not competing against three other GCs to see if you get this and five other subcontractors. We already own the property. We're the, we're the builder and this is how we're going to do it. And so we can streamline that process. And how do you like to give back? Well, our, our family has been to, I, we, I know you've been to uh, Africa and you've adopted a few kids from Africa. Our Africa touched our hearts as well. And so we have been involved with a boarding school in Rwanda that was established in response to the genocide. And wow. we took our kids over there to work for nine days when they were from the ages of like three or four to, you know, they were like seven or eight. So we've been involved with that school and that community for a good long period of time. And even just this week, you know, I've been in communication with some of the boys that we met there that they're no longer boys they're young men and, and they're developing their own businesses. And so we're still in communication with them. We're still supporting, you know, them in terms of like giving them ideas and business tips you know, just investing in them has, you know, and it's been a real investment back to us in terms of their involvement and they're just having them in our lives. So that's one area that we like to do. And, and also in, in our local community, just in, in investing in different things that our church has been involved with. So those are the main ways in which we get involved. 
Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, Scott. I'm grateful for your time and I've, I've enjoyed, and I hope the listeners have enjoyed learning about how you all are converting underperforming buildings to self-storage. I think that's a new one for the show. So uh, grateful for that knowledge that you've shared with us and, and, but tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. You can look at our webpage. It's Coda, C-O-D-A-M as in management, G as in group.com. So that's CodaMG.com. And there's blogs, there's um, other information that we have out there that you can reference and reach. And then if you click on it, you can also get in touch with us that way. So that's the best way. Don't go yet. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I would love it if you would go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. I want to hear your feedback. It makes a big difference in getting the podcast out there. You can also go to the Real Estate Syndication Show on Facebook so you can connect with me and we can also receive feedback and your questions there that you want me to answer on the show. Subscribe too so you can get the latest episodes. Lastly, I want to keep you updated. So head over to lifebridgecapital.com and sign up for the newsletter. If you're interested in partnering with me, sign up on the contact us page so you can talk to me directly. Have a blessed day and I will talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.